Just a couple of things to quickly bring to your notice. First of all, it's great to have Matt and Stephanie Richardson with us and their two children. Uh, They were members of the congregation here a number of years ago while he was going through a PA school. And they went back to East Texas and have been living in that area came out to beautiful West Texas for vacation for a few days. Actually, they went to Carlsbad Caverns, where we can understand the temperatures would be a lot cooler. It's great to see you guys and to also see your kids with you. Alan McClanahan let me know. Alan and Skeet are on the very back, right there. We all know and love them. That tomorrow he will hear what time he needs to go in for some surgery on his hand and elbow that'll take about three or so hours. Now, if you know Alan McClanahan, you know he's got a lot of pre-existing conditions. Uh, And we just want everything to go really well with him in the surgical procedure on Tuesday, Lord willing. So please keep Al and Skeet in your prayers. I know that they'll appreciate that. They're great people. Two words that we have learned from the time we are kids to try to stay away from. They're words of shame. They're words of loss. They're words that we normally just don't want to have associated with us. Here are the two words. Last place. Last place. But you know, ultimately, it's how God uses terms that really matter. Last place can be something that really hits our self-worth. It really makes us feel low and discouraged. But last place can have a meaning and significance. You ever stop to think that God often saves the best for last? Not always, but often God saves the best for last. As a matter of fact, in John 2, verses 1 through 11, after Christ's first miracle of turning water into wine, the comment everybody was making is normally the best wine is served first... And the bad stuff is served at the end. But in this case, the best has been saved for last. God has a way of doing that. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1 and notice verses 4 and 5. 1 Peter 1 verses 4 and 5. Because when you consider this passage... An inheritance is spoken that's reserved for us in heaven. The nature of this inheritance is incorruptible, undefiled, and that fades not away. Focus on each of these terms. Sometimes you can describe what something is only by talking about what it isn't. It is incorruptible. It's death-proof. It's undefiled. That means sin-proof. And it fades not away. It's time-proof. Isn't it great 
to know that as children of God, something is reserved for us by way of inheritance that is death-proof, sin-proof, and time-proof. And notice what the text says. Reserved in heaven for you in the last time. Circle that word last. It would seem to me then that last place doesn't always have a negative connotation. While often it might here in this world, certainly when we talk about spiritual things, God often saves the best for last. Now the word last is found 59 times in the New Testament. It is the word eschatos. Eschatos. Eschatology is the study of last things. Last things. The term found 59 times in the New Testament. God's only got to mention a subject one time for it to be important biblically. But a subject mentioned so frequently in the New Testament, like last, ought to rivet our attention. It ought to grab us and make us think a little more about what last means to God. As members of the body of Christ, we firmly believe that God ought to have the last and final word on every subject. Amen? God ought to have the last and final word on every subject. Why don't we give God the last word on the word last? Let's give God the last word on the word last. Open your Bibles to Acts 1 8. Acts 1 verse 8. Jesus says to the apostles, You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost, the ends, the last part of the world, the earth. You ever said to yourself, that's the last place on earth I'd like to go? Well, the gospel's going to go everywhere. As God takes the apostles and those that they would bring to Christ everywhere with the gospel. They went everywhere preaching the word. Acts chapter 8 and verse 4. You look again at Acts 13 and verse 47. The Bible talks about this idea of last as, for you science fiction fans, you Star Trek people, the final frontier. Salvation that's found in Jesus, Acts 13, 47, would go even to the ends of the earth. The last places out there, the most remote, even to the final frontier. And in a period of about 40 years, when you look at Colossians 1.23, the gospel went to all creation. The first century church did something marvelous. They took the gospel everywhere. So sometimes the word last has reference to, to space. 
and to territory and to place. Sometimes the word has reference to the material and especially to quantity. Open your Bibles to Matthew 5.26. Last. Matthew 5.26. Here's what it says. Talking about anger and forgiveness, Jesus makes a point that you shall not be released until you have paid the last penny. The quantity, the material owed. Sometimes the word just means last in a sequence. One, two, three, four. Four in that case being the last in the sequence. First Corinthians 15 verse 8 is an example. Paul would write that Jesus last of all appeared to me as one born out of due season. Last in sequence. One more passage and think about it and we'll focus on it a little more. Mark chapter 12 and verse 6. In the midst of a parable we call the parable of the tenants, Eventually, the landowner, the master, sends his son. And when you look at this, it says, lastly, or finally, he sends his son. And rather than respect the son as the son of the landowner, the tenants kill him. The idea is God sent the prophets and people often persecuted them. God sends Jesus and they put Him to death. He saves the best for last. And this is how the best is treated. So we're going to study last things this morning. For those who just thought that this will be a lesson on the end time, sorry, misread that. I said a study in last things. Let's let God stress how we use the term. Seven ways this term is used in the New Testament. First of all, the expression, first and last. God is the first and the last. If you studied that expression, it goes all the way back to the Old Testament. And the book of Isaiah especially, Isaiah 41 and verse 4. Isaiah 44 verse 6. Isaiah 48, 12. God says, I am the first and the last. And in this book that deals with history... Isaiah profoundly makes the point that God is the sovereign king over human history. That is a great thing for all of us to remember. 
When we talk about the economy, when we talk about war, when we talk about the problems that exist in our own nation, as many as they are, ultimately, the government is not in control. Ultimately, God is in control. And I think we can rest with a lot more comfort in that knowledge than in the thought the government is in control. Open your Bibles to the book of Revelation because I think it's significant that Revelation emphasizes this expression too. That God is the first and the last. Just as it was emphasized, stressed in Isaiah to help the people of God realize, yes, you're going to be going into captivity, but I want you to know there's a reason for this and you won't be there forever The book of Revelation wants us to know that God is in control. Some of us are control freaks. Look at Revelation 1 and verse 17. Jesus is the first and the last. Just like bookends at the beginning of Revelation 1.17 and at the end of Revelation 22.13, Jesus speaks of Himself as the first and the last. He is the beginner of things and He's the end of things. He is the goal and purpose and conclusion of all things. And I love what is said in Revelation 1, 17 and 18. It says that Jesus was dead but is alive again and lives forevermore, that He lives forever and ever. Here is Jesus, the Lord, referring to His death, an eternal being becoming man and experiencing physical And yet he is alive forevermore. And I love the next statement especially. He is the one who holds the keys to death and Hades. Who drives the car at your house? Most of the time it's going to be the person that has the keys. The Lord is in control. He is worthy of our trust. He's the first and the last. And it's interesting, a statement that would be used of God, and we would think the Father in Isaiah is applied quickly and readily by John through the Holy Spirit to Jesus. He's the first and the last with no problems. Second statement. Letting God have the final word on the word last. Last days. This idea, this concept also has Old Testament overtones. It goes back to the idea in the Old Testament of a time that was then yet future when God would pour out His Spirit on all flesh. Joel 2, 28-32. 
In order to make this really easy for people that are taking notes or following along in your Bibles, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Notice verses 16 and 17. If you mark in your Bibles, you might want to put down by Acts 2, 16 and 17, Joel 2, 28 through 32. When God would pour out His Spirit on all flesh. What happens on the day of Pentecost, Peter and the other apostles say... This is that which was spoken of by Joel. You see that? For you Bible markers, now do this. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. What happens on the day of Pentecost? The Holy Spirit comes upon the apostles. The apostles speak in languages that they've never studied. The gospel is proclaimed and people are added to the church. Acts 2.47. We think of Acts 2 as the birthday of the church and understandably so. Now look at Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1 says that God spoke in times past in many shapes and ways through the prophets. The first expression, Jesus is superior to the prophets. While they spoke for God, Jesus is God's Son. Has in these last days spoken through His Son. God has spoken, end of story, through His Son. People that talk about the last days and we're living in the last days, I have no problem people talking about the last days because we've been living in the last days biblically ever since Acts chapter 2. When we let Scripture define terms... So really, we're talking about we're living in the time in which God has spoken all He has to say and all that He wants to say through Jesus. And we've been living in that time for some time. It's not just some Johnny-come-lately recent development. It is a misuse and abuse and twisting of Scripture to make last days refer to that. Contextually. Notice that Jesus is the heir of all things. He's way better than the prophets. He's the heir of all things. He's the creator of all things, the one through whom He also made the worlds. He's the brightness of God's glory, the express image of His person, the one who upholds all things by the word of His power. And those three things in the middle show really how God... Jesus is. How fully God Jesus is. Then it speaks of His sacrifice when He made purification for sin. He's not only the sacrifice, He's the great high priest. He sat down at the right hand of God. He's the king. And then notice what happens. You have verse 1 saying he's better than the prophets, and you have verse 4 of Hebrews 1 saying he's better than whom? Angels. 
The prophets and the angels were the revealers of God's will in the Old Testament. A final era, a final time has come when God has spoken through Jesus. He has nothing more, nothing else, nothing better to say than what he said in Christ. The last Adam, number three. The last Adam. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15, 44 through 48. I'd already mentioned the last offer in Mark 12 and verse 6, that God sends His Son and that people crucify the Son of God. But what Paul does in 1 Corinthians 15 is he offers a comparison and contrast between the first and last Adam. The first Adam, the one who had breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, the Adam we know of from the early chapters of Genesis. Physical. Physical. The last Adam, the Creator, and eternal. Think about the first Adam. The first Adam sinned, and with the sin brought decay and death. The last Adam, 1 Corinthians 15, 44, and following, the last Adam, through his death, gives us a spiritual body that will never decay or die. The last Adam... What was lost through the choice of the first Adam was retrieved and more through the last Adam, Jesus. That's a great theme to study, but i got to move on. Fourth, open your Bibles to Matthew 19 and look at verse 27. Matthew 19, 27 through chapter 20 and verse 16. This is really interesting stuff about last. Because in this passage, Jesus says something that most of us have heard and maybe not thought a whole lot about. The first will be last, and the last will be first. And while the Lord uses the expression several times in the gospel accounts, let me just focus on this one place. Matthew 19, 27 through 20 and verse 16. And here's why. These are the events that immediately followed the rich young ruler leaving. That Jesus loved him, Mark 10, 21... But the rich young ruler went away sorrowfully because he had great possessions. The Lord goes on to talk about how hard it is for a rich man to enter heaven. And when you look at Matthew 19, 27 through 29, Peter asked what the others were thinking evidently. He says, what about us? What will we receive because we have left all to follow you? 
we see this man with much leaving without really doing what Jesus says and without a relationship with Jesus, the rich young ruler. Peter wants to know what about us. Let me ask you this. Do sometimes you do the right thing as a Christian because you know that God rewards those that do right and that He punishes those that do wrong? I guess to some degree there are times when all of us respond to God that way. Because we know He rewards people that do right and we know that He punishes those that do wrong. We know that. But over the long haul, over the lifetime, a lifetime, one's lifetime, let me suggest to you that is not enough to really motivate people to do right. Because the greatest motivation is we love God who first loved us. We love Him who first loved us. And so by this section you might put in your mind or in your Bible, doing God's will from the heart. Matthew 19, 27 through 20 and verse 16 is really about doing God's will from the heart. Ephesians 6, 6. Not just doing right because we think we're going to be rewarded. Or not doing what's wrong because that way we won't be punished. Now look at Matthew 20. Because Jesus answers Peter's question and what the others were thinking about evidently. By saying, you'll get a hundredfold in this life and in the life to come, eternal life. But then he gives a parable. Is God an equal opportunity employer? Does God pay everybody the same amount? Those are some questions you might ought to think about. Especially think about after reading Matthew 20. What you'll see in the opening verses is something I want to tell you. Beware. I'm going to give you three bewares. Beware of bargaining and negotiating with God. You will always sell God too short. Beware of trying to negotiate with God. Some of us think we're pretty good negotiators. We think pretty well on our feet. We're pretty good talkers. I've got news for you, buddy. You're never going to be able to negotiate or bargain a better deal than God has already given in Christ. And so what we're really doing is taking worldly philosophy and trying to apply it to God, and it won't work. What these men did was bargain with a master in the parable to work a day and to receive a day's wages. A fair day's work, a fair day's pay. But you know what happens in the parable? There are individuals who only end up working about an hour, the 11th hour, and they end up getting paid a full day's wages. And you know what happens to the people that work 12 hours? 
Not fair. Now, wait a minute. Didn't you agree initially to be paid this amount? And they all say yes. Beware of trying to negotiate or bargain with God. Now, here's the second beware. Beware of keeping books for God. You and I are not qualified to be God's CPA. We're not qualified to be His auditor. Beware of keeping books for God. Well, what about this guy over here? He only worked an hour. I worked... Didn't you negotiate this? The thing I'm trying to get across is why negotiate with God because God does exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think in the first place. Amen to that? Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Not going to get a better deal. But don't try to keep books for God. Now here's a third thing to notice about the first being last. Don't begrudge God's blessing to others. Don't begrudge God's blessing to others. Ever look at somebody and say, I know that person's not any smarter than I am. How have they done so well in their life? And here's what happens. Ingratitude comes out. Because God has blessed us all, hasn't He? And when we become ungrateful we end up thinking we deserve more. Don't we? Ungrateful people are legalistic people because legalistic people think that God owes them something that He's not given them. They deserve something more than God's done. Now here's what I want you to think about. God doesn't settle everything in this lifetime. Often God richly blesses in the here and now. Amen to that? But our God richly blesses in the hereafter too. A person may seem to have everything they could ever want in this life. But if they have everything they want in this life, but they don't have eternal life in Jesus, I wouldn't take what they've got for all that they've got because of what I'd be trading. How about you? It's perspective. Perspective here. In discussing last, just a little bit longer, hold on with me, we're going to get there. Go to 2 Peter 2 and verse 20. Number 5, let's look at the last state. The last state. 2 Peter 2, 20 through 22. This is one of those passages that really warns us about the seriousness of falling away. The passage talks about having escaped the defilement of the world having escaped the defilement of the world through a knowledge of the truth. The last state is worse than the first when that occurs. 
through the knowledge of the truth, we've escaped the defilements of the world, we become entangled again therein. Notice the passage. It would have been better never to have come to Christ in the first place than after having come to Christ to have neglected the salvation that's in Him, Hebrews 2, 3, and 4, and gone back into the entanglements of sin. Now here's what I want you to see. You listening, Gavin? There are times that sheep act like dogs and hogs. 2 Peter 2, 20-22, when sheep end up acting like dogs and hogs, and it is no compliment. I like puppies, and I enjoy a good country ham as much as the next guy, or pork chops, but that's not what's being talked about here. When sheep act like dogs and hogs... Notice the illustration. It comes from the Old Testament again. Proverbs 26 and verse 11. As a dog turns to its vomit, and as a hog, when clean, returns to the mire, to the mud. A brief word. The dogs of that time were regarded as filthy animals that ran in packs often fought each other, biting and devouring one another. Galatians 5, 15. And they lived off garbage. The hog. Been clean. And then wallows right back into the mud. Get the picture, y'all. The last state can be worse because to have been cleansed by Jesus and to go back and act like a dog or a hog here when we're a sheep makes no sense at all. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 26. This is number six in looking at last things, a sixth area. The last enemy... 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 26. Then comes the end. When Jesus shall deliver the kingdom to the Father. When He has overcome all rule and principality and power. The last enemy that shall be destroyed according to the word of God, is death. Listen to me. The death of death is coming. There comes a day that will be the last day death has existed. Isn't that wonderful? I've done over 400 funerals personally and attended many more. And as I look out and see your faces, so many of you, I have done funerals for family members and loved ones in your life. People that were precious to me too. And one thing I always try to remember is thank God there will be a day when death will die. 
The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. Now turn with me, if you would, to John 12 and verse 48. A seventh way this expression last is used. The last day. The last day. When the scripture was read earlier this morning, John 12, 48, as our scripture reading, the word that I have spoken, Jesus said, the same will judge you in the last day. That is an expression John is especially fond of, the last day. Do not marvel for the time comes when all that are in the tomb shall hear his voice and come forth. They that have done good to the resurrection of life, they that have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation, John 5, 28 and 29. It's especially in John chapter 6 that the last day is mentioned. Four times, four times just in John 6, 39 through 49. The last day. When you study the word last and what God's got to say about it, it is all about making our last day our best day. Making the last day the best day. The last day is not just the last day you take a breath. The last day is the day that Christ returns and judgment follows. 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 9. The last day. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me in that day, not to me only, but to all that have loved His appearing. Listen to me, friends. You and I don't know if we'll be alive on the last day. But we know this, whether we are or not on the last day, the living and the dead will have to give an account to the judge, Jesus. And we know how to make the last day the best day because it will be the beginning of eternity and the beginning of being with Jesus forever. I don't believe you can beat that day because it will be the day that eternity begins and we will live with Jesus forever. I think of an old hymn, Waylon. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon the face of the one who saved me by His grace. When He takes me by the hand and leads me to the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. Are you ready? Have you come to Jesus in faith and repentance and baptism? Have you had your sins washed away by 
the Lamb, Jesus. Have you been added to His church, the church He shed His blood for, Acts 20 and verse 28? And are you as a Christian serving Him not merely because rewards are ahead for those who do and punishment is ahead for those who don't, but are you serving Him for a deeper and richer motive? Are you serving Him because you love Him? Because you're overwhelmed by His love for you. Every person who hears and understands what I have said today needs to live in view of the last day. Are you? Let us stand and sing.